The information shared in this podcast does not necessarily represent EVRMA's stance. These podcasts are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Hi, welcome to Fertilipod, a podcast by EVRMA. Dr. Andres Ritz. Welcome back to Fertilipod, the podcast where we discuss current topics and the latest research in the field of reproduction with some of the world's leading experts. Let's get started. In today's episode, we're talking about something that is of particular interest to me and I hope to many other aspiring and current REI fellows here in the, in the U.S. What is life after fellowship like? Now, for a little bit of background on how this works for those of you outside of the United States, The process is not very different from what it's like in other countries. Essentially, we have college, then medical school, which is followed by four years of an obstetrics and gynecology residency. And then after being a resident, you become a fellow in a fellowship program of reproductive endocrinology and infertility, like the one at Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey, for example. After that, when you graduate, then you become an attending doctor, which essentially means that you're no longer in training. To walk us through this transition, we've invited Dr. Scott Morin. Dr. Morin is the medical director of the Reproductive Medicine Associates of Northern California office. He completed his Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility Fellowship at the Thomas Jefferson University RMA New Jersey program, during which he also trained as an embryologist. Before that, he completed his OBGYN residency at New York University School of Medicine in New York and received his MD from the University of California, Irvine. Dr. Morin has published research on the key steps in the IVF process, anything from single embryo transfer and pre-implantation genetic testing to optimal oxygen concentrations for embryo growth during fertilization. And he's also earned several awards for, for his research. Dr. Morin, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join us today. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And I want to know what it's like to finish fellowship, become an attending, um, that transition. First off, tell those of us who are still hoping for this to happen one day, is, is attending life awesome? You know, I think it's it's interesting. Um, my experience is probably pretty different than most people who've come out of fellowship. Um, I mean, to answer your question, yes, it is awesome. Um, you know, when you feel prepared, you know, by having really good training, um, it's very exciting to, you know, to have patients of your own and to build connections with those patients and, um, you know, really own their care. And, it, you know, obviously it's a tremendous responsibility, but it's something we've been working towards for a really long time. And so then we, we take really seriously, obviously, is, is uh, the trust that people put in to us to help them grow their families. And so, um, you know, I think that probably the most rewarding thing is, is, you know, meeting a patient for the first time and you're not presenting that patient to anyone else, like an attending or a senior fellow, you know, you're thinking through the problems yourself to guide someone <clears throat> through the process from the very beginning you know, to the point where you can hear a heartbeat and ultrasound, I can't imagine a more rewarding or f- fulfilling uh, journey in, in medicine. Obviously, that's why I love my job, but but um, I think I wasn't prepared for the sheer um, 
appreciation and, and reward that you get for helping somebody uh, build their family um, through a partnership that you you know create together um, as an attending doc and, and with the patient. Yeah. So you did your you did your fellowship at RMA New Jersey. When when did you finish? What did you, what year did you graduate? Um, I finished in two thousand eighteen. Okay, not too long ago. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. And what what have you been doing since you since you graduated until now? Yeah. So um, you know we we opened up a practice in San Francisco um, in two thousand eighteen. I mean, sorry, we so I graduated fellowship in June uh, two thousand eighteen, and um, you know d- during fellowship we were laying the groundwork for our, our practice to open in San Francisco and in Palo Alto, and so. Um, you know, after finishing fellowship, moved out to the Bay Area and uh, kind of helped with the final touches of getting our practice ready to go. Um, you know, we moved here, um, we had a shell of a construction space um, and we, had, we hadn't hired anyone except for an embryologist. And, um, and so there's a lot of work to do. Uh, you know, we were preparing obviously, you know, before I finished fellowship, but there's a lot of work to do between June and October to get things ready to go. And unfortunately we were able to, to start seeing patients um, October 22nd, 2018 was our first patient. So, um, and you kind of had to set up the whole practice and, you know, create our workflows and, um, you know, figure out ways to entice patients to come see us and build out a staff. And, and so, um, it's been a busy, busy process. Um, and, and, you know, one that we were preparing for, you know, frankly, during fellowship so that, you know, it wasn't too long of a, a delay between the finish of fellowship and when we started seeing patients here. So we started seeing patients October, 2018, and um, we've just grown incredibly rapidly over the past two years. You know, it's just crazy to think about, but I think we have 39 staff members now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, last year, I think we, we did we did a little, little over thirteen hundred egg retrievals, um, so it's been a it's been a rapid growth, and it's been you know we've learned a lot along the way, and um, we're still learning, still still making the process better every day, and um, we we really feel like we're in a good spot now, but certainly always working to make it a little bit better. Right, congratulations! It's an, an impressive track record for the past for the past uh, couple of years. Your planning then you say started during fellowship to to get where, where you were right after fellowship. Um, how, how hard was that to kind of do two things at the same time in the sense of, you know, being a fellow to begin with, which is busy enough. And then, of course, planning all of this, all of this. Yeah, you know, it was it was there's a lot going on there. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can I imagine. Think- I think, um, you know, some, for some background, I mean, you know, I, I really, when I was thinking about where to go to fellowship, um, you know, I wanted a play, to go to a play. I mean, my, my, my goal was to start a practice and that was kind of from the very beginning, the goal. And, um, so I wanted to go to a place where, you know, I felt like I could get the most comprehensive training in, in, in being ready to do that. I mean, I think, and I think that's like, comes from a few different points of view. I mean, number one, and most importantly, is feeling ready clinically to take care of patients on your own. You know, to me, you know, after interviewing all over the country at different programs, I mean, there's kind of no question that I'd get the best clinical training at the RMA New Jersey program. You know, the, the clinical volume, just the quality of the care, the quality of the people at RMA New Jersey, I think was just unsurpassed. And, um, you know, when you see when you're taking care of that many patients going through infertility treatment, 
And as a fellow, you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of patients yourself and participating in their care. You just, you're exposed to a lot. I mean, you know, you need volume to see the unusual things that come up in, in uh, infertility treatment uh, or the different variations. And so there's lots of volume in RMA New Jersey. And I think for anyone who's really paying attention and, and like is understands that at some point you are going to be responsible to, to um, own that person's care. It's just like a Disneyland for, for ART. <laughs> um, and so I think that was really important. And so I you know, definitely got that part of it. I think number two is feeling like I was up to date with what's um, current in our field. And so, um, you know, the, the track record of research and the EVRMA program, I think, is also unsurpassed. And so I, I felt like I, I could offer my patients, you know, truly cutting edge care eventually. And so that, that was an important part of it. And then number three, I think the one thing that's really unique about the program at, at RMA New Jersey um, is, you know, I think that the fellows are really encouraged to seek out what's most important to them. And, and I think as long as it's, it's productive, it's a productive, productive part of their educational journey, um, you can kind of go full blast in, in whatever direction you want to, to train in. And so I think, you know, obviously we, we, we do a, a comprehensive training. I spent a lot of time in the embryology lab. We did a lot of, a lot of research, um, took care of patients, but I think in my case, like it was pretty obvious that I, I wanted to, to start a practice. And so, um, you know, there, there's, there's an opportunity in the RMA New Jersey program to understand some of the other aspects, administrative, um, business aspects that go into starting a practice. And so when I started fellowship, I mean, fairly early on, we were talking about things like, how do you set up a practice? How do you staff it? What's the workflow like, you know, how do you set up the office, like the actual physical space? And so, um, I think it was pretty obvious that that was my interest and, 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 you know, my mentors at RMA New Jersey kind of cultivated that. They, they, there, there was no problem with that. You know, they wanted me to, to, to get as much as I could out of that process so that when I came out, I would be prepared. And so, um, you know, I, I had the, the opportunity as long as I was doing a good job clinically and, and was productive from a research standpoint, you know, I could spend the other parts of my day learning about, you know, the administrative aspect of setting up a practice. Um, and I learned a lot in, in my time during fellowship. And that's so important, right? Aside from, aside from the, you know, clinical research training, so to speak, um, to, to get prepared for, for that other part of attending life, whether you're starting a practice or, or joining somebody else or joining an academic practice, but um, kind of preparing for the, for the non-clinical aspects of, of what it's like to not be in training anymore. Right. Yeah. And I think um, it's not something that's probably talked about much in, in purely academic programs. I mean, in some ways it's just kind of a taboo. I, you know, I, I mean, I spent time in those organizations also, I mean, you know, in medical school, um, you know, getting to know the, the department of OBGYN where I went um, in obviously in residency you know, there's almost this, uh, you know, this gag order on talking about the business of how medicine is practiced. I mean, you really, which I understand, you, you know, you want the trainees to kind of, you know, be focused uh, entirely on, on be on their clinical care um, or, or doing research. And, but, but like, even if you do join an academic practice, eventually these things are, are a part of your day to day. And so in some ways, you know, I, I think in other settings where you're not kind of allowed to understand these other parts of the job, I think you, you get it. It's a bit of a disservice to trainees. And so not everyone wants to get deep into the weeds about how you set up the business, but, but like some underlying kind of baseline knowledge, I think is really helpful. I mean, I happen to have a little bit more interest in that. So, um, and thankfully I had mentors that were 
really talented and also willing to, to spend the time to teach about that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I think, you know, we, we see more and more, I think, in residency programs nowadays, how everybody places a lot of emphasis as you're finishing residency in, you know, you need to learn how to how to bill and things like that. But there's there's so much more to it than than like, you know, that milling and insurance kind of thing. Now, when when one finishes fellowship, of course, assuming everything goes well, there's there's several ways one can go, right? You can, you know, you can choose academic medicine, go into private practice, you can stay or leave the institution you're in. Um, what what options, if you don't mind me asking, were there for you when you were kind of considering this decision? I know you mentioned you know, your plan was always to, to open your own practice, but was it to stay on at RMA always the plan or was it, you know, did this kind of happen organically? Sure. Yeah. You know, when, when I, when I started, um, you know, I, I think I thought that was the goal. Eventually I wasn't sure initially if I'd feel prepared to do it right away um, at a fellowship. I was hoping that I would. So, you know, I certainly explored other options before finalizing that decision. And I met with a couple of private practices, um, yeah, I knew I wanted to end up in this part of the country uh, back in California. So I met with a couple of private practices out here just to see if there were opportunities that were available. Uh, met with, uh, you know, a couple different practices that did have some opportunities available. Um, I think ultimately decided that, um, you know, just kind of knowing how I, I hopefully wanted my career to go that like, if eventually I was, I wanted to kind of, you know, help set up practice and, and really have some control over, over like how patients are taken care of and, and the process that patients go through. If I ultimately wanted to do that, you know, you might as well do it sooner rather than later. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably not how everyone feels. I mean, I think it is a little scary coming out right out of fellowship and, <laughs> you know, doing all the different things that go into, to, you know, helping to run a practice. Um, but I, I, in my mind, it was like, well, if you're going to have to learn those things at some point anyway, you might as well start that process earlier and make the mistakes and and um, feel that pain earlier rather than later, so that um, you're you're kind of where you want to be sooner. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of the thought process. And I think an important part of this was was thankfully, you know, I I, I met my future partner at RMA, Jonathan Court. Um, you know, we met it during. Uh, a conference uh, in fellowship. Actually, I think I was still a resident at the time. I was still a resident at the time. I met at a conference called PCRS, which is a great conference in Palm Springs. He was at Stanford and I knew I wanted to come back to California. He also wanted to start a practice. And so I think we met each other in the whole, um, the, the whole like, you know, thought of starting a new practice seemed a little less daunting when you had a, a partner who saw things very similarly to you and, and um, had the same goals. And so I think probably having each other gave us a little bit more courage to do it right off the bat. So I think, you know, I thought basically to answer your question, I didn't think I wanted to be in an academic setting. So I thought it was a little uh, too inflexible for how, you know, I wanted to, our practice to right. work. I wanted to be able to move quickly um, to make changes that would be beneficial to patients. And then number two, knowing kind of where I ultimately wanted to be, you know, and feeling like I had good preparation from where I trained, like, you know, the sooner I, that we got going on this process, I thought the better. Yeah, I, absolutely. Sounds like, it sounds like you make, the, you made all the, all the right choices. Um, did you, I, you know, you, you had been training like all of us for, for well over a decade. Um, 
did you have to kind of finally adapt to being an attending when you started actually seeing patients, kind of allow it for it to sink in that you're you know not in training anymore and you're on your own now? Or is it more of, of a seamless transition, like, okay, I'm an attending now? And You know, it's interesting. Um, there, I remember being out in practice for a couple weeks or maybe a couple months and like, and like thinking back on like the, you know, the first few weeks of, of our practice being open and it kind of dawned on me, like the last thing that I even thought about was like, am I prepared clinically to take care of patients? Like it, <laughs> it was because there were so many other things going on to get, get the whole thing set up, you know, between like the billing workflows and getting patients into the office and making sure the lab was ready and getting OR accreditations. And I, I think that, you know, that, that, that's a credit to my training though. I mean, I, I, I felt very prepared clinically that when it, when it came to taking care of patients, that was the easy part to some degree. And obviously it's not always easy and there's very tough cases that still to this day stress me out, you know, but that part was, um, it was familiar because we just seen, I'd seen so much and done so much at RMA New Jersey that it, that, that was kind of, um, it, it was the, it was the part that didn't even really dawn on me when we first started seeing patients that, that, um, this was kind of, there, there wasn't anyone looking over my shoulder anymore. Um, and I had a partner also, you know, who was always available if I had questions. And so we, we, we leaned on each other quite a bit early on to kind of work through tougher cases. Um, I think it's just, it's a good lesson that we're, wherever people are thinking about training, um, you know, someday you're going to be on the other side of it and, and there's not going to be someone looking over your shoulder. And it's like in the, in the midst of your training, you want to seek out the challenging cases. You want to, to get experience in doing things like abdominal retrievals and, in more challenging cases, because at some point it's going to be you. And so either you're uncomfortable learning now or you're uncomfortable later without the training to, to, to kind of handle some of these things. Right. I think you're right. I think it's, it speaks volumes that you're sort of able to focus on, it speaks volumes to your training, that you're able to focus on starting a new practice and that the clinical aspects almost became kind of second nature. Um, were there, aside from, from what we've mentioned, was there anything that you, I mean, most of these challenges are things you can probably anticipate. Was there any change from fellow to attending life that was more unexpected, something you, you didn't anticipate? I think, honestly, the, um, the biggest thing, and we touched on this a little bit previously, was like, you know, that, that true feeling of, of a, like, a deep responsibility to another person, another patient. And right. like, when, when things don't go well, it like hurts so much. Like, and, and, um, you know, if a patient's gone through the process, they've given you the trust to, to help them have a baby. And if it doesn't work, like those are tough phone calls. And, um, and I think on this other side of it, when it does work, like, like it, it is, the feeling is, is even better than I anticipated. I mean, it, it like, it, it is such a good feeling when you can call somebody who's, you know, can think of, you know, a number of patients where it's like eight years of trying and, and like they've, they've had month after month of disappointment and like, finally they have what they've been hoping for. And like, that feels great. And so I think that the lows are lower than I thought and the highs are higher, um, you know, because even if you're really engaged as a trainee, as a resident or fellow, they're not ultimately your patient. And so like, you, you know, you're, you know, you feel a responsibility because you're a medical professional and you want to give people good outcomes always in medicine. But, but like when they're your patient, it is like, it's a strong responsibility. I think that the, I didn't quite appreciate how like much it would hurt when things didn't go well and how great it would feel when it did. 
Yeah, I think we we always speak as you know as as, as residents and fellows about taking ownership of our patients, but it, it probably becomes a lot more real when the, you don't have to take it. It's it's actually your ownership to begin with, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even as much as you try, ultimately, you know, if if that person didn't come specifically to you, it's hard to do it. You know, until you're actually out there uh, on your own in the real world. Yeah. What is, what is your final word of advice for, for people who are like myself, you know, either currently in fellowship or looking to, to graduate in the next few years? Is there anything you wish you had known when you graduated, anything you would have done differently now from your perspective today? You know, I think the most important thing is, is like being truly honest with yourself about what it is that you want. You know, because there's not a right or wrong answer. There's, and there's so many different ways to go in, in practice that um, I think some taking some time to reflect on like how you actually want your day-to-day life to look, you know, in four or five years. And, and I think, you know, the best way to kind of imagine that is, is, is talking to people and, and thinking about, um, you know, and not just like, okay, where am I located? Like, what's my call schedule? How much money am I making? Like, it's more like, you're going to be in that life, you're going to be in deep, you know, and you're going to be getting up every day doing something. And I think, you know, your day to day can look very different depending on your practice setting. I mean, if, if there's, you know, you have, you have teaching responsibilities or research responsibilities, or you have, um, and trainees to kind of help you do some of the, the, the scut work or you don't have those, those people, um, um, you know, do, do you want to create something or, or do you want to kind of walk into an environment that's already kind of set up for you? Um, you know, you know, what, what is, what's kind of the, um, the atmosphere in, in the practice, like, you know, the, the collegiality among physicians, I think, you know, really, you know, spending some time to like reflect on what it is that you truly want, what was going to be most, um, rewarding to you. And, and, you know, you may not get it right the first time you always can change, but, but I think like, you know, instead of just kind of falling into an opportunity, thinking through what your day-to-day really will look like, I think is really valuable. Um, so I, I think that, that would be my, my advice. Cause thankfully there's a lot of resources out there now. I mean, you know, there's, there's this podcast is great. You know, there's, um, there's a few other podcasts out there that are kind of specifically geared towards trainees to, to kind of learn about the different aspects of our field. And so I think like taking an active interest in that and asking questions, getting to know people, just paying attention is really um, would be my best advice. Yeah, I think I, I remember when I went to the Pathways course at RMA in New Jersey a couple of years ago, um, Dr. Scott mentioned something similar to what you're saying. And I've actually, I'd never thought of it that way. And I've kind of been applying it since then, which is, you know, try to think, what do you want your week to look like, right? Like how many days do you want to devote to this? And how many days do you want to devote to that? And kind of break up your day and your week. And, and that's kind of an easier way to see where you want to be later on. I think that's, that's great advice. Yep. Dr. Morin, thank you. Thank you so, so much for, for all your insight, for sharing your experience and for, and for taking the time to be with us today. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. You guys do a great job with this and uh, I look forward to future episodes. This has been another episode of FertiliPod by EVRMA. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week for more research and topic discussions and all things reproductive medicine. See you next week. Thank you.